Well, good evening. Everybody doing well? Doing well. That's good. I might start wearing my sunglasses when I come up here on Wednesday night. I declare it's bright looking back at you all back there. Maybe it's the Shekinah glory of the Lord that's on you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Oh, goodness. There was no denying that. Everybody was just willing to accept that and, and claim it. That's all right. That sounds good. Well, let's give thanks. <laughs> I probably, I'd really be styling with those on, wouldn't I? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, thank you, but I'll pass on those. Let's give thanks tonight before we begin, shall we? Lord, we're grateful for this day and all that you've done for us. We acknowledge tonight that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Everything we have, it's come from you. We're a blessed people today, and we appreciate so much, Lord, your favor in our lives. Thank you for the desire that you placed in our hearts, Lord, to study your word, to be in your house in this middle of the week, when we could be doing so many other things, Lord, but you've placed it in our hearts this desire to study your word and to be in your house. And for that, we're grateful. And Lord, as we turn to your word tonight, as we study your word tonight, speak to our hearts, open our eyes, illuminate our minds, help us to understand the importance of the word of God. Minister to us, we pray. We'll be so grateful and built up and edified as a result, and we'll thank you for it. Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to, well, I was going to thank Dennis for taking care of this last Wednesday night, but he's not here, so we'll do that a little later maybe. Thank you all for being here. Um, two weeks ago when we were studying um, and started in the book of First Peter, we only got through one chapter. Um, or something like that, and so we um, spent the next Sunday, it was, I think, talking about um, the Apostle Peter and who he was and, and a little bit about his life. And tonight we're going to go ahead and pick up with Second Peter, maybe dipping back into First Peter a bit, and then this coming Sunday morning spend our time primarily in chapter... Three of Second Peter, which talks about the the day of the Lord and His coming, and what people's attitudes are towards that nowadays. Um, examine what the Scripture says there. It's a, it's really a weird thing I've got on the board there. Somebody walked in tonight when I was putting that up and said, "Man, I wish I was an artist and could do that." I thought, I thought, boy, you're you're in bad shape if you can't do that. Because all I did was trace a yardstick and color it in. <laughs> uh, but um, I've put that up there is, is the bar. What is, what is the game you play? Limbo. Limbo, thank you. I was trying to figure I knew it was something, Bo, but I couldn't come up with the first part. Limbo, how many have ever seen that played? You know, it's when you hold a bar and then everybody tries to, to go under it this way. 
as they walk forward, and there's always a lot of laughs, and some people can't hardly get through it at all, and other people are amazing at what they can do when they go into there. But in that game, the bar is raised and lowered, am I right? That's part of the game. Well, tonight what we're going to talk about is the bar, but we're not talking about the bar where some people go to drink, and we're not talking about the bar as in the limbo bar, but I'm using this as an illustration tonight, the bar as, as a synonym, if we could, for the standard. We know what a standard is, right? There's a certain standard, uh, USDA, where's Tam? Tam? Isn't it USDA? Sets the standard for meats and so forth. There's a certain standard. If you don't meet that standard, you're in a heap of trouble. They'll shut you down. There's, there's standards for the daycare. And if we don't meet those standards, they'll shut us down. Well, when you open up your Bible, what you read there is God's standard. Is that true? He gives us instructions. He tells us what His will is. His standards are revealed to us in the Word of God. Now, here's what I want us to understand about the bar, His standard. There is, there is, this bar doesn't change, does it? There's no raising this bar, and there's no lowering this bar. God is the only one who has the right to set the standard, put the bar where He wants it, and let that bar represent the will of God and the Word of God to us tonight. So anytime we as Christians, if our attitude towards the Scripture is that if, if the bar is here, but we want to live somewhere down here, then um, we're falling short. Am I right? And, and really, we don't have the right to do that. Uh, we don't call the shots. We don't make the decisions. We don't set the standard. God set the standard. Am I right? And then, uh, of course, the, the world is filled with people who would rather live down here below the bar. Am I correct? They've made that choice. They don't care about God's standard being here. They want to live down here. They have no regard whatsoever. But there are some people in the world who uh, you can call them hyper-religious or hyper-Christians or fanatics or whatever you would choose to call. There are some people who actually exceed God's standard. And they come up here and they try to put... Um, requirements or regulations or stipulations on our lives. In other words, this is not enough, what God said we must do. They raise it even higher and add other things to it. Is that okay to do? No, it's not. We, we, the point I'm making is we do not have the right to lower the standard, and we do not have the right to raise the standard. The standard is the standard, and it's God's Word. Would you agree? So, with that in mind, let's go into the book of 2 Peter, and we're going to begin to read, because we're going to end up tonight talking about, Lord willing, uh, if we get there, and I think we will, uh, chapter 2, which is going to talk about uh, destructive doctrines and false teachers and the nature of the depravity of false teachers and so forth. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about the... The, the bar, the standard, the Word of God, the, the um, um, standard that God Himself has set. 
May I remind you that the Bible says, and I'm going to quote this scripture, you fill in the blank for me. I am the Lord, I blank not. Exactly, change. I am the Lord, I change not. And the Lord doesn't change His standard. He doesn't lower it, He doesn't raise it. It is what it is, it's revealed in the Word. And that's what we have to aspire to. We have to be guided by. David worded it this way. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that what? That I might not sin against God or I may not sin against God. We, we want the word in our hearts. We want the word in our minds. We want to understand the word. We want to know the word. We want to memorize the word so that we won't sin against God. And the standard has already been set. We need to know the standard. We need to learn the standard. It needs to be in our heart in order for us to live up to the standard that God has set. So, let's begin in chapter 1. Again, it's Simon Peter. We've talked a lot about him on, on Sunday before last. I believe it was. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to read word for word through this first chapter here, although we'll read most of it, but I'm going to kind of skip through it to um, build a foundation for what we want to talk about tonight. Verse 3 says that his divine, well, we got to finish with verse 1 first, I think. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So Simon Peter is the author or the writer. Somebody tell me who who he is writing to. Just taken from those uh, words that we just read in the remainder of verse 1, who is Simon Peter's target audience? Bingo, exactly. It's, it's not limited to that day and age and that time. It's to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, or Christians. People who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He died for our sins. We need to repent. We call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And then we, and He's going to, boy, He's going to hammer it here that we need to grow. You don't just get saved, you get saved and then you grow and you change and you mature and you develop as you go through your life as a Christian. Being a Christian is a life of of maturing and growing and being discipled, okay? You don't just commit your life to the Lord, period, everything's over, nothing else to do. No, uh, coming to Christ, uh, becoming a Christian is, is the first step. And then we live that out. We become disciples for the rest of our lives and learners. And so we then are numbered in that group, first one, those who have obtained like precious faith um, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 3 then says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, let's just take a few minutes there and talk about this verse. Notice that. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That would tell me 
if I'm going to accept that at face value, that everything we need to live a victorious Christian life, God has provided for us. Would you agree? It's not like he's holding back something. And incidentally, if we were to, if we were to uh, paraphrase that verse and use more common vernacular than his divine power, what would we say today? What is his divine power? Or who is his divine power? Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now somebody remind me, remind, boy, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to have to change sides. At least until that sun goes down. Sorry. <laughs> I'm looking right in the sun that way. Um, one of the one of the most notable features and characteristics of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is this. Because Jesus said, um, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go away, I will send the Spirit, and He will what? But He will be with you. He, and, and the Bible goes on, Jesus went on to say, He will not only be with you, but He will be in you. So, the Holy Spirit has been sent. He dwells in our hearts. Wherever we go, we take Him. We carry Him with us. And I think that's uh, germane to what we're talking about here, where the Bible says that His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need, the Spirit of God has given you and can give you and provide for you. He's, it is not His desire for you to be defeated. It is not His desire for you to be depressed. It is not His desire for you to, to walk around downcast all the time. He comes to give us life and to give it more abundantly. And He wants us to have love. Listen, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. We don't need to go any farther than that. That's pretty cool stuff right there, right? That's what He wants for us. That's His will for us. That's why He lives in us. So Peter says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us. Is that a great phrase or not? Things that are given to us. Does that interest you at all? When people want to give you something? The Bible says that the Spirit has come and, and all that God has done for us, He has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. I don't know about you, but I kind of like that. Because I know God can't lie. And I know there's no end to His supply. And I know that His power is unlimited. So when God's Word says that He has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, we're going to, to read in just a moment, as I skip down to verse 11, talking about these exceedingly great promises that the Lord wants to, wants to bless us with. Verse 11 talks about, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Is anybody here interested in eternity? Interested in heaven? You want to? Are you interested in what happens after you take your last breath here? All of us have some degree of interest in that, right? But sometimes we don't get really excited about that because we're really more focused on what's going on in our skin, right? It's easier to get interested. And that's the good thing about what we're reading here because he's going to explain to us that all the great and precious promises that God has given, they're not just for out there, they're for here. He wants to change our lives and transform us in the here and now. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to be more like Him. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to be mature. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to to uh, quit sinning. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to be delivered from addictions. Those things can happen here and now if we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So He goes on and says, verse five. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Now, you, he's already acknowledged that we have this like precious faith. And the Lord is working in us with his divine power. He's called us to, to a closer walk with him. He has exceedingly great and precious promises for us. He wants us to be partakers of the divine nature, to escape the things of the world, the corruption that is in the world through lust. But then he says, but also for this very reason, since God has some things in store for you right here, right now, in this life, he says, giving all diligence. What does that phrase mean, giving all diligence? I'll tell you right now, I wish all of us as Christians were guilty of giving it all diligence. What's it mean? Giving it attention, being focused, what else? Is it a light thing for us to be Christians? Is it an insignificant thing for us to be Christians? It should be major in our lives. It should be, it should be about the most important thing in our, in, our, in our skin, in our life, in, our, in, in the course of our day. That's why... The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That's why the first commandment is love the, God, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The great commandment. Go back into the uh, first commandment in, in the Old Testament. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. To put God first, to make him biggest, most important thing in our lives, that would be equated with giving all diligence. In other words, you're taking this walk with the Lord seriously. You care about your standing with the Lord. You care about how close or how far you may have been drifted from Him, and you, it matters. And so you add, for this very reason, giving all diligence. In other words, make it your focus, give attention to it. It's important. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Now, obviously, we, we've got faith if we're Christians. We had to have to believed in God and accepted what Jesus has done and, and by faith become a Christian. But the Bible says now, giving all diligence, focus on this, think about this, make this important in your life, add to your faith virtue. Let's talk about that, man. I, I think it's important. If the Bible says we're to add virtue, well, what does that mean? 
Anybody else? I had to spend a little bit of time chewing on that today and, and studying that for myself. So I went to, to the concordance and looked up that word virtue in the original language. And actually, it refers to manliness. Now, ladies, don't, don't get lost here because I think if you start thinking, well, it's manly, don't have anything to do with me. No, it could be womanly too, okay? But the actual root comes from manliness and it has to do with courage and bravery. And by being courageous and brave, we're pleasing to the Lord. Now, think of it this way. I don't know, of course, you know, how can I say this? I don't often give attention to any attraction I have with men, if you know what I mean. I'm not attracted to men, okay? We good on that? Okay, but when when... One of the most impressive sights I know, in my opinion, when it comes to seeing a man being impressive, is to see a soldier in his dress uniform with all kinds of medals there. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, he's standing straight. He's got that hat on, that uniform on, and you know it stands for something. And you know he's earned his stripes and he's earned these medals. That's a sharp-looking dude, isn't it? in that uniform like that. I think that symbolizes virtue. Because of the way he has conducted himself, he has won these medals and these stripes and worn the right to wear this uniform, and it's an impressive thing to see. My dad would probably say the airline pilots because he always liked to see those guys come walking down at the airport. Boy, they're just as sharp as could be, disciplined and ready to go. That's just that's kind of the picture there. Now, if I'm going to transfer that from manliness to womanliness, I would have to say that one of the most impressive sights, I think, is when you see a woman on her wedding day. Does she really ever look any better than that day usually? I mean, that's her day. She has spent weeks and months planning for that day. She looks so beautiful on that day. And the bride walking down the aisle always looks good, right? Looks pretty, beautiful. Everybody stands when she walks in. Virtue, okay? And the Bible says that we as Christians, are to give all diligence in adding to our faith, we're to add virtue. That is, to to carry ourselves in such a way that how we carry ourselves bespeaks who we belong to and the fact that we're Christ-like, we're Christians, we love God, that He's smiling on us. He He's the one, actually, that we're trying to please anyway, right? We want His favor and His recognition in our lives. So to all, with all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Take it seriously enough that you want to look like a Christian, that you want to act like a Christian, that you want to walk like a Christian, that you want to talk like a Christian, one that pleases and honors the Lord. So and, and now in the back of your mind, keep in mind who's saying this. Who's saying this? We're talking about the guy who lied and denied the Lord and with cursing and swearing, right? We talked about, I think that's significant here because when you read through this book of the Bible, you understand that his life has been transformed and he didn't stop at getting saved. He has grown and developed and matured. And now some 37 years later, here he is writing this right before he's to be crucified 
before he's going to lay down his life. He even mentions that here in a few minutes. And he says, uh, these are the things you need to do. Take this seriously. Be diligent about your walk with the Lord and add to your faith virtue. Take it seriously. And to virtue, knowledge. Be a student of the Word of God. And to knowledge, self-control. Learn to be disciplined in everything that you do. And add to self-control, perseverance. And that is, you don't quit. You just stare. You steady. You, you keep going. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. That's a whole list of things we should aspire to and try to keep adding to our, our spiritual life and our Christian character. And the Lord will be pleased, and there will be absolutely virtue there, right, if we would do those things. But now listen to what he says. For if these things are yours, and they abound, in other words, you do a lot of these, these things are yours, you have owned these things, you have put these things, made them a part of your life. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you're going to be a productive Christian if you'll do those things. Now, let me just pause here. And, and isn't it true that we can read through a scripture like that in about 15 seconds and miss every bit of that good stuff? What that really means to us, if we will take to heart what the Bible is saying there. But then verse 9 says, For he who lacks these things, if you do, don't do these things, is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be diligent. He says it again. If you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, may I say to us tonight that it seems to me that in America right now we have dumbed down Christianity. We've dumbed it down. It means to be to say I'm a Christian now means practically nothing. In reality, when you look in the larger scope of those who who would claim to be Christians, their lives haven't been transformed. Their behavior hasn't changed. They're not doing any of these things we just mentioned here. They're just wearing a cross around their neck and saying, "I'm a Christian." Right? And so Paul continues. For this reason, verse 12, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. He goes on in verse 13 to say, to stir you up by reminding you. Do we need reminding? Do we need to be stirred up sometimes? Verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. What's he saying there? He's going to die. How does he know he's going to die? The Lord, the Lord told him. Remember? Remember when Jesus told him in John 21? He said, and you're going to die just like I'm doing. The same type of death. That's what he's referring to there. He knows it's his time. And he says, knowing shortly I must put off my tent, lay my body down, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Um, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. What's he saying there? That's why I'm writing this book, he says. These are things I don't want you to forget. I won't be around to tell you again, perhaps, but I'm going to put it in writing so you can read it and be reminded and be stirred up because this is important, what I'm saying. 
he says. Verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. These are not fairy tales. This was not some configuration of a, a man's imagination. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Remember when Jesus went up on the mountain and was transfigured before Peter, James, and John? Peter was one of the people who were there, and he's referring to that now in verse 17. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So what he's saying was, I was there on the mountain. I saw Jesus and Elijah and Moses. I heard the voice speak from heaven. I was an eyewitness. I know what I'm talking about is what he's saying. But then he says something that's even more amazing than that. Then he says, now the King James Version of verse 19 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. I want everybody to listen real carefully because this is important. Peter has just said, I was there and I witnessed the transfiguration. I was an eyewitness. Now, how can it get any better than that? How can it get any more trustworthy than you seeing it with your own eyes and hearing it with your own ears? How can it get any better than that? He goes on, though, and he says in verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy than what I've just talked about. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. The New King James Version, which many of you are reading from, verse 19 says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. In other words, the Bible was true. The prophecies were true. It's been revealed before us. We've seen it. We've experienced it. We can testify that it is true. But I want you to understand, he's saying that this, look, He's saying that this right here, the written word of God, is more trustworthy than what you've even seen with your own ears, or seen with your own eyes and heard with your own ears. You can't get any more trustworthy than this. It, it doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter what preacher says it. It doesn't matter what denomination says it. It doesn't matter what anybody says. If this represents the will and the word of God, this represents the Bible, we don't have the right to lower that standard. We don't have the right to raise that standard. That standard has been put out here for us, and it is what it is. God gave it. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will not pass away, the Bible says. So no matter what you feel and no matter what you think, if it is in opposition to what the Word of God says, then we got a problem, right? Houston, we got a problem. You may not agree with what this standard is, and you may be living down here. I'll tell you right now, you got a problem. And I'll even go so far to say, if this is the standard and you have added things to it, and you got your bar set up here, you still got a problem because the Bible says we're not to take away or add to, right? The Word of God. It is His standard. He sets the bar and then we adjust ourselves to, to what He has said and what He has written. It goes on to say that no prophecy of Scripture 
Well, let me back up just a little bit. Verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to take heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day, dawn, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. And he's going to tell us now where the Bible came from. Some people say, well, the Bible's just a book, just like any other book. The Apostle Peter says in verse 24 and 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, this, this Bible, this standard, this bar that we see represented here, it was not the idea of man. It was the idea of God. And God breathed the word to the prophets. He gave the word. Um, the Spirit of God spoke, as, and these men were obedient and obeyed what the Lord gave to them. So, would you say then, do we have a standard now by which we can proceed through First Peter a little bit farther? I missed it by two minutes. I was wanting to get to this point in the first 30 minutes, and we went two over. Now we're going to continue. If you believe there's a standard, would you say amen? amen. But then chapter 2, verse 1 says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Boy, what a, what a, what a paragraph. False prophets. Let's define what a false prophet is. And I, I don't think that we're necessarily talking here about Old Testament prophets only. We're, we're using the word prophets in a larger sense by anybody who speaks for God. That's what a prophet is. Someone who speaks for God. And, and the Bible is recognizing here that there were false prophets in the Old Testament. And there were false prophets in Peter's day. And there are still false prophets today. So what is a false prophet? Okay. Yeah, it, if we're using the broader concept, not a prophet in the sense of foretelling the future, but a prophet in the sense of speaking for God. If we're, if we're talking about a prophet that way, and that's what a prophet is, someone who speaks for God. If you use it in that sense, I'm sorry, Eddie? Phony, misleading. All of the above are true. Now, is there any of that going on in the 
Christian, quote, Christian world today. Um, let's, let's just take a few minutes and give some examples. And by examples, I don't want names. I want, I want offenses. Examples. Examples of where in our society, in our culture, in our world today, we're missing the boat and, and there are false teachers who are promoting certain things that are either well below God's standard or even above God's standard. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Well, hyper. Yeah. Okay. Some some people call that the uh, prosperity. Prosperity. I even hate to use the word gospel. It's called the prosperity gospel, but let's just leave it at that. It's not gospel. Um, there are people teaching that, right? And we know that's not true because everybody's not going to be rich and famous. And everybody's not going to be healed. Amen? And, and we have to acknowledge that. We have to be honest enough to, to align ourselves with what this says. God is a healer? Yes. But not everybody's going to be healed because if we were, nobody would ever die go to heaven there comes a time when we all leave this leave this life so that prosperity is one of them what, what else okay <laughs> I agree with that I, I agree that that is a problem what else as long as you feel good about something okay that that would the way that theology would work in somebody's mind was, well, I love the Lord, and, and I know I'm saved, and I don't feel any guilt, and it feels okay to me, so I believe the Lord says it's okay for me to do. That's kind of what you're getting at? Whatever you want to do. If it feels good, do it. If it feels right, it's okay. Yeah, that's a problem. I don't know what we'd call that, but... <laughs> How do you think Jesus would have responded to the idea of homosexual pastors? Tell me that I need a wash rug for my car, and 
and I take your word for it, find out I need fuel pumps. That's the problem we have in the society. Would you would you all agree that homosexual behavior falls far below the standard that God has set? Okay, what else? You know, I've 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 heard a lot of um, teachings over the past couple of years, and like we'll have people come in and say, "Oh, you do good things, you'll go to heaven. If you do, you know, if you do, if you give and give, you'll go to heaven." You know, it's like they don't know the meaning behind of all of that. They're just giving us. What's the only way to get to heaven? Yeah, and what he did for us. He is, there's a a, uh, phrase we use in our culture today, the gold standard. He's the gold standard when it comes to making it to heaven. Not what you were saying, not good works or giving, but Jesus. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ, having your sins washed in the blood of the Lamb and so forth. Okay, what are some other things? Are there people who say it's okay to lie, cheat, and steal? Even if you're a Christian. Just a little white lie. Right? There you go. That's the idea. That's the idea. Does that fall below the standard? What about lying? Exactly. Uh huh. What about lying? What's the Bible say is going to happen to all liars? They'll have their part of the lake of fire. Absolutely. Okay. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt. Fornication, and, and that is different from homosexual behavior in as much as fornication is sexual immorality, which can manifest itself between people of the same sex, people of opposite sex, um, any, any sexual activity outside of the marriage union, basically, uh, that falls short. But that surely would be a big one today, wouldn't it? Um, let's go above. Let's name some requirements that some people teach that you've got to do up here that go beyond what Okay. Okay. We we could we could kind of enlarge that by dress or um There's got to be a word for that. Pardon me. We all know what what the, the 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 group we're talking about here, and and you know what um, 
I don't criticize somebody who wears long dresses. I wouldn't criticize somebody who who had personal convictions about simplicity of life. Okay, where it would become a problem is if they make that the standard for everybody else, right? They could do that for themselves all day long, and, and it's fine between them and the Lord, but when they try to impose that on everybody else as the standard, that's where it would become wrong. Yeah, that's kind of a, a hyper-faith, isn't it? There's a, a movement along those lines that say, um, if you're sick, you must have sin in your life. It's out there. Uh, and the reason you're sick is because of something in your life that shouldn't be there. And if you get right with God, you wouldn't be sick anymore. So that's another example of going beyond where the standard would be. I hear about local religion being in competition with each other. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing with Bible too. You know, you shall hear about different churches and stuff like that. They went to see your WC camp when you go into church, and they got different lines. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, yeah. It goes, it, it goes, it goes on in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 They went to the application with your own terms and everything before you were yeah. Wow. In Raleigh. <laughs> 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 I don't blame you. <laughs> okay, you get the idea, right? That God has a standard. It's revealed in His Word. There are people who live who live far below that. There are some hyper Christians, so called, that that go above the standard and require things that the Bible doesn't require. That would be error. But this also is error. And so, what we're trying to do is to find our place where we can understand the Bible well enough to know that as Jimmy was saying a few moments ago what God's require what God's requirement is not what man's requirement is there are all kinds of of um, well thanks for sharing that example there's all kind of requirements and demands made upon people um, as Christians in different places um, can I just tell you, and I think you know this already, but our our goal here in this church is is to find our place somewhere in this area right here. Amen? I don't want to live down here if I need to move up. But I certainly don't want to be so high and mighty in my own mind about who I am that I can raise the standard that has already been set. I think the Lord knew what he was doing when he gave us his word. And again, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. 
and it's his word that we need to understand. Mm-hmm. I carried a bulletin down there and showed the people. Mm-hmm. I said, this is, this is what our church puts out in Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I read it, you know, where it says we're not a perfect church. We're not a church for everybody, you know, but we're a Bible-believing church. Mm-hmm. And I said, and this is the first church I've ever attended that I've ever seen a bulletin like this mm-hmm. that tells the people, we know that this church might not be for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're not a perfect church. This is, I said, you know, we're a Bible-believing church. Mm-hmm. We believe in God's Word. That, you know, that might not be for you. You know, I said, but this is the first church I've ever attended mm-hmm. that that actually puts that in writing mm-hmm. and tells people right off on the bat that's the old folks this way. You know, hey, you understand? Well, we we don't mind putting it in the bulletin that we're not a perfect church because they already know that anyway, right? <laughs> we're just honest enough to admit it. And, and we also are not ashamed to say that we're striving to meet this bar here, Ronnie. Uh, Pastor, I, I think a key part in meeting the bar or sustaining the bar is when we say we take the Bible right as the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's got a lot to do with how we mm-hmm. uh, stay within the bar. I, I agree, absolutely. Let's go to verse 4. How... Is it important that we measure up to the bar? Or is it important that we steer clear of false prophets and people who are telling us um, things that are not correct? Verse 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Those of you who know about the Bible know that the angels did indeed sin. and They were cast out of heaven. And verse 5, and he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. In other words, God is judging sin. We're reading that here. He condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, delivered righteous lot. Uh, continuing verse 9, Then the Lord knows, if he did that, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed, They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Listen to how these false teachers are described in verse 12 by the Apostle Peter. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, parading in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. (laughs) 
enticing unstable souls. Notice that. Enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Uh, verse 15 talks about Balaam. We'll jump on down to the middle of verse 16 who talks about how a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Verse 17, these are wells without water. Let me ask you, what good is a well without water? These are clouds carried by, carried by a tempest. What good is a cloud if you're in a drought and the wind just blows it by? Nothing happens. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? These false teachers, verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Verse 22. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Verse 14. We're trying to finish here by, by our time. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, and we're going to talk about chapter 3, Sunday morning, Lord willing, of the day of the Lord. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, there it is again, be diligent. Be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. Let me ask you this, how many of you ever stand before a mirror before you leave home? And you take a look at yourself in the mirror and you make sure there's no spots, no toothpaste, no, you know, you know what I'm saying? We do that, don't we? And the Bible says here, be diligent without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking of them in these things, and which are some things hard to understand, well, sure, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, watch this now, you, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that could be the key to the whole book. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. So a large portion of what Second Peter is about is a warning. It's a warning to us. That when we come to Christ, we don't just stay where we are, but that we grow and develop. We move along in, in uh, uh, the growth process. We become what the Lord wants us to be. We aspire to reach. Listen, when we, when we come to Christ and we're forgiven of our sins, 
we're, we're still going to be down in here somewhere. Our behaviors haven't changed yet. We, we're going to be moving up constantly to try to aspire to the standard that he sets for us. I don't even know that there's anybody in here. If I were to ask you, have you, have you met the standard? Are you living at the standard? Are you where you need to be today with this standard? Probably most of us, if we'd be honest, would say, no, probably falling short in some areas. And we're still aspiring to reach that. That's the important thing, though. Still growing, still being discipled, still being conformed to the image of God's Son, still being transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's why we come to church. That's why we read our Bibles. We're, being, we're constantly being washed with the water of the Word. Amen? And constantly growing and learning and developing and being discipled and becoming what the Lord wants us to be. So we're all continually trying to reach that standard that has been set, that bar that has been set for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it means when it says that we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. First Peter isn't the only one to talk about these, um, these false prophets. Let me just share a couple of scriptures with you before we close. Matthew seven fifteen. these are the words of Jesus. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Why do false prophets come in sheep's clothing? What does that mean, first of all? If they're coming to where the sheep are, they come in looking like sheep. They act like sheep. But inwardly, they're what? They're wolves. And you, you can so easily be deceived by them. I, you know what? I dare say most of us in this room have been deceived at one time or another by somebody. Don't you imagine? You thought they were something that they were not. And it turns out that you weren't, you weren't right at all. They weren't sheep. They had ulterior motives all along. Maybe you didn't know. Beware of false prophets who came to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Jesus said that. Matthew 24, 11, Jesus said, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. In Acts 20, verses 29 and 30, Paul said, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then he said, Also, from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. So sometimes the attack comes from without, Inward, sometimes people from within rise up and cause division and problems and become false prophets. The Bible says so much about this. In 1 Peter 1, verse 25, however, concerning this standard here, the Bible says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And Malachi 3, 6, which we quoted a few moments ago, for I am the Lord, I do not change. We talked about... Um, What's the game we started out with? Limbo. We talked about limbo. We don't want to play limbo with this bar. You don't want to go under this bar, right? You want to be able to latch onto that bar or rise up to that point and, and meet that bar. Well, any, any comments or questions before we close this tonight?
if that if that sheep's DNA and blends in with the sheep, and you learn to raise that sheep and love that sheep, and then one day you find out it is wolf, do you just turn your back on that wolf, or do you try to help that wolf? I think probably that would that would be uh, answered according to the situation, and we I mean that that could be varied. There's sometimes you want to kick the wolf out and get him out before he devours everybody there, okay? And then there's other times you might want to, to try to turn that person around. Most likely, if it's a wolf, you want him out. But if it's a person that's erring, erring, they're, maybe they're just a sheep that needs to quit acting like a goat and start acting like a sheep. I've, I've taught on that before. You put the sheeps and the goats together, you know how you can tell one from the other. Because it's the goats that are always butting other people around. And it's the sheep that are just nice and docile and easy to get along with. Okay, So sometimes those who act like goats may be sheep. They just need to grow up some and, and be turned around. And sometimes people can be helped. But But the person who's being motivated from the pit instead of from the Holy Spirit... Sometimes you you just have to you have to get the wolf out or separate yourself from the wolf, whatever the case may be. Obviously, we're, there's a lot of different intricacies that that we could discuss here in, in different scenarios, but. I saw this week, I didn't recognize the name of the fast food place, so I don't think it was from in this area. Some of you may have seen this. But uh, a person had a cup, a paper cup, from a fast food place, and they held it up like this where you could see under the bottom of it, on the inside rim. And this person, their caption says, well, I guess I won't be eating here anymore because inside the rim of the plastic cup from underneath where you can put your finger underneath it. Very plainly it said, Hail Satan, printed there by the cup manufacturer. And that's pretty bold, isn't it? I wouldn't eat there anymore either. But that's the world we're living in. You never know what motivates people and why they're doing what they're doing. But that took a lot of I can't even believe somebody would do that, but uh, but but I saw that. Well, yeah. I was told to ask you. <laughs> you were told to ask me. <laughs> I I think it has something to do with satanic. Would anybody here know for sure? Yeah, upside down crosses. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, we're going to have to come to grips with the fact that the world we live in is heading in the wrong direction. And it's not going to get easier to take a stand for Christ. It's going to get harder. And um, we as Christians are going to become more and more unpopular uh, in the eyes of our culture. But that's the Bible predicts it, and it's, it's happening just that way. It's just the way it's going to be. That's why we're going to have to make up our minds. If, if there was one word I'd like for you to take home with you from this text tonight, and I saw it three times, what was the word? Diligence. You've got to be diligent. It's, it's, not, it's time to quit playing, church. We've got to be diligent about our spiritual walk with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, Joni shared a prayer request with me earlier today. Sometime back, Jimmy, what's the name of the, the I think it was Lori? And anyway, there's a there's a young mother with five children, three, three, three boys, three boys ages three to seven or something like that, um, and the mother is in jail. Her and the father just got locked up yesterday for like for drug use, and these kids are are just now. Parentless and grandmothers got the kids now. Yeah, luckily they got only grandmother and shut into the system. Once they get in the system, then the three boys probably you know they get killed. Mm-hmm. But luckily grandmother's helping. Yes. Yeah, they were. They stayed. She stayed with us for a while, and then she moved out. And, yeah. But then I got a um, friend. Um, I was raised up with him. We was raised together. He had a son that probably. Doing good. He was in and out of drug treatment, and he started doing better. Thursday night, he he got a CDL license. Thursday night, he asked his uncle to borrow forty dollars to put a CD player in his kid's truck. His, his uncle let him borrow. He left, and then he went home. And the person he was staying with, and when he got there, he'd go to ashtray. And the person said, "Just come on and get a shower. You know, you you look like you've had a bad day." The person goes checks on him. He's in the bathroom, sitting on the toilet, looks like he's getting ready to get in the shower. person walks out, comes back about two hours later. He's laying in the floor with a needle spout on him. He had a Like I said, he's a little bit older than my son. He's going to be 25 this year, so I think he's about 30. Mm-hmm. Just remember those. You all may remember for several weeks we were praying in our church for... Um, um, actually, it would be my sister's sister-in-law, Janice, uh, who came home about a week ago from the hospital doing well, but she died unexpectedly yesterday. So uh, just remember the the Gillum and Dotson families, if you would, when you pray. Very, very tragic thing there. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. Tomorrow, I'll be having surgery my left eye with the coma. And also the cataract. Be nice to know that everybody's praying for me. We're praying. 11, well, 1 o'clock tomorrow. The surgery. 1 o'clock tomorrow. So, please remember Pop. Yes.
Let's remember Jaya. Okay. Miranda? Well, my neighbor Sarah for cancer is a dad at the hospital with the chemotherapy for her brain tumor. She's getting infections and fevers, and they had to do a surgery on her arm for some spot. And she finally came home Friday night and knocked on Lucy's and passed out, and you couldn't come up to because everybody she went to the hospital with was very low blood pressure and high heart rate. So she's really having a tough time. Okay. All right, would you stand with me? And would you pray with me about these needs? Let's pray together. Lord, we bring these requests and these petitions to you now. We lift these up to you as to a loving Heavenly Father who has the ability and the power to meet every need that we have. Right now, Lord, as each of us are lifting our voices to you, you're a big enough God to understand each one of us. We're asking that you would minister and move. We're pleading for help. Lord, for these bereaved families, for these, these small children who need a stable home. Lord, for these individual requests that have been shared with regard to uh, physical needs and surgeries and grieving families who have lost loved ones. Lord, the needs are so varied tonight. Every single one of these needs, you understand, you're able to minister. So I pray, Lord, as our loving Heavenly Father, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in the hearts and lives of every single one of these individuals whose names or need has been shared here tonight. You're an awesome God, a prayer-answering God. We've heard of that even here tonight. Lord, thank you for what you've done for one and for others for whom we've prayed. We're asking you to minister and move and work in our hearts and lives. And I would pray, Lord, today that you would help us all to understand that we have a responsibility before you to walk before you with diligence, to focus on our relationship with you, to take it seriously, Lord, that we might live our lives in a way that would be pleasing in your sight, obeying your word, learning every day, becoming a disciple, taking seriously again, Lord, our responsibilities as children of the Most High God. So help us, we pray. What an awesome God you are. We love you today. Minister to our church family and all those who have needs, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Looks good. Sunday morning, we're going to be taking First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter 3, and it's going to be enlightening, I believe. God bless you. Thank you so much.